You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. If you think about it, tonight we're going to be looking at, uh, here's our fancy theological word for the day. Uh, the next three weeks is called ecclesiology. Can you say that? Ecclesiology, which means we're going to study the church, right? Now, if you, uh, if you grew up in church, uh, depending upon what that situation was like, most people think that church was a building that you come to, right? That, you know, you pass by and go, oh, that's a church right there, and it could be empty, but in reality, it can't be a church if there's no people, right, okay? Uh, in fact, if you think about it, this building um, could burn down today, right? And we're still the church. This church was birthed in 1834. How many of you here were here for that? Okay, I'm just going to like 1834, this church. So we're getting ready for the 200th birthday celebration. We're not too far off from it. Uh, but 200, almost 200 years that a local church has been present here. It used to be a country church you'd walk the dirt road to get to, and now it is not that anymore, okay? Um, but yet, what does it mean to be the people of Rocky Creek if the building wasn't here? If we weren't here at this address, what what does it mean to be the people of God? And that is such an important aspect. And and the reason why, um, I was thinking about this recently about um, a guy that I was talking to, I was sharing the gospel with, and at a rough place in his life, uh, trying to figure out what the next step was. Family's falling apart. Uh, some of his decisions he had made got him in a whole lot of trouble. And uh, I was trying to talk to him about what does it mean to follow Jesus and explain the gospel to him. He's like, I get all that, I get all that, but I just don't see the need for the church. And I go, what do you mean? I don't want to come on a Sunday morning to a bunch of stuffy people who are always turning down their nose at me because I'm not like them. So, okay, makes sense. Uh, I'm sorry you had a bad experience like that. He said, you know where I feel closest to God? I said, well, tell me. He goes, in the club. I said, okay. What do you mean by that? He said, when I'm with a bunch of my friends and the music is playing and the lights are down and we're just dancing and enjoying each other, he goes, I'm be honest with you, that is my church. Now, part of you want to go, I hope you hit him, Pastor. Okay, like you may think, like, that's horrible. And let me tell you the response that I, I gave to him when he said that dancing with a bunch of his friends felt like church to him. I said, you know what? I believe you. I do. Because for him, it represented a place where he felt like he belonged, he was loved, and he enjoyed the presence of those people. And so for him, that was an experience for him where he felt loved, accepted, valued, and he didn't want to leave. And so in reality, while this guy had made a lot of poor decisions in his life, he understood what a church should be a lot better than what I did when I grew up. Because I thought it used to be just the place that you would go to and you would try to be a little bit better when you were at that address than any other address, right? And if that's all the church is, then what happens one day when there are no buildings for us to gather in? What happens when the government starts telling us what we can and cannot do, right? Things like that would change us. And so we've got to make sure that we understand what the church is. Since Christ loved the church enough to die for her, we must understand its essential qualities. The church is the people of God united for the purposes of God. So let's look at some biblical images of the church. Starting here, that through the teaching in the New Testament, we understand the church to be the community of all true believers 
for all time. When we think through about what the church is, it's actually to be a community of all true believers for all time. And the New Testament word for the church was, guess what? Ecclesia, right? Ecclesiology. Ecclesia is the word here, which simply implied a group gathering or assembly. So my fellow who said he felt like he was at church in the clubs, not too far off from the original meaning of the word. It was a group of people gathered together for a singular purpose in which he felt like he belonged to. It was his church, if you will. So the New Testament word for church was ecclesia. It meant a group gathering or assembly. So let me explain it if you think about it in this way. Do you remember a time where, and we'll get to this verse here in just a little bit moment, but you remember at a certain point uh, Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Upon this rock I will build my what? Church. It was ecclesia. Upon this rock I will build my group. I will build my assembly. I will build my gathering, right? It was not. I'm going to build this building. And so, in fact, this may be an interesting way to think, but, but the word was not originally religious. Not at all. As it signified a group meeting for a common purpose. So, if you strip it down back to the original word that Jesus used, it was not a religious word. It was a word that explained any type of group or assembly. So, with this, but they would come together for a common purpose. And what was that purpose? Well, for these folks, it was to follow Jesus and learn how to follow him better. And it's very interesting to know how often is that word ecclesia found in the New Testament. The term is used a whopping 111 times in the New Testament, and it never refers to a building. Think about it. The word church used 111 times anywhere between Matthew and Revelation, and it never references a building, ever. So when it's used 111 times, what does it speak of? It speaks about to all the saints in the church in Galatia. Where do they meet? All over Galatia. Well, what do you mean? Like, isn't it a place? Um, one of my friends at one of the churches that we're trying to revitalize on the other side of Greenville said, when we started talking about a partnership between our church and their church, said to me, I always used to think that instead of having this church and this church and this church, we should just all be the church of Greenville and we all work together for a singular purpose. Isn't that what we ought to be? And when you read the New Testament, it was the church at Thessalonica that met in different homes, the church in Galatia that met in different places. Like it's not, and I said, I get exactly what you're talking about. It never refers to a building. But in the New Testament, there are different images that are used to talk about the people of God that I want to unpack together. The first one is this, the family of God. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer what? You're, yeah, you're no longer strangers and aliens, right? So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the what? Household of God. You're a part of the family. Now, um, some of you have a place in your life that just feels like home, right? Okay. Some of you are like, nope, hadn't found that place yet. Um, when we served, uh, before our family moved to Greenville, uh, we lived in Greenwood, South Carolina, and born and raised there and served on a church staff for 14 years. And one of my uh, many responsibilities at the church was I was over college ministry. And so we'd have a bunch of college students invade our house on Wednesday nights, and we would have Bible studies there and uh, on our playroom floor, and there'd be kids stacked everywhere. And there's actually, there's actually couples here at this church 
that are married and got kids and whatnot that met on that playroom, that playroom floor, okay, like at a Bible study, right? And so, like, we'd have, we have students coming in all the time, and um, I would typically say at the beginning of the semester, hey, Mikasa Sukasa, right? If you don't have a home, like, you're welcome here. When you're not going back home, like, if you need a place to, to you know, use the laundry, if you need a place just to kind of refresh, if you need whatever, a place to vent, and a lot of them were like, okay, sure. Some of them took us up on it and have not left yet, okay? I'll be honest with you, okay? They still come around from time to time, and we love it, uh, and it really, we, we do mean it. In fact, I can remember one time that uh, someone that we had really tried to invest in and care for, and this person just really had never had a family, a, a place where like felt like home to this because of all the situations that had happened. What father and mother should have provided weren't there for this person, and I'll never forget one time, uh, calling me uh, late at night, life's falling apart, I need to come by and see you and Amanda. I'm sitting here going, I'm in my jammies, and nobody needs to see me in my jammies, but okay, I'm going to go get some clothes on and come on by. It's, it's 10.30 at night or something like this, and this person comes in just crying, life's falling apart, this is happening, this is happening, whatever, and as collapses on my couch, next, Amanda and I are sitting in these chairs, collapses on my couch and says, it just feels so good to be home and falls asleep like that. Yeah. Just literally hit the couch and, and snoring. And I'm going, what do you do with this? Right? Like, can I go to bed now? Like, what does this mean? What did it mean? This was the place that, that person just felt at peace, at home. Felt accepted, loved, and even when broken knows I can come at late in the middle of the night and know I'm going to be loved here, right? This is what a picture of what I've always envisioned the church to be. A place to where you belong. Not a place where I go here because I like the music. I like so-and-so because the preacher tells funny stories. You know, I used to go to that church, but now I go over here to that church because I like their programs more. That's not a family. That's a country club. That's you exchanging one service for another service. A family is this. What it ought to be is... Um, you didn't get to pick your family, right? Okay, some of you are like, I know, okay, right? Yeah. Uh, you didn't get to pick your family. You, you're, you're brought into this and come the good days and the bad days, you're a family, right? You work through stuff together. And I think it's beautiful that this really is what it should be. And, and we understand this to be a part of the household of God. Like, how does this, this mean? Because um, a lot of times people will say, I love God, I just don't like his church, right? I get that. You know, I, I want to be a relationship, but the problem is this. If I say God is my father and you say God is your father, what does that mean about you and I? We're siblings. And some of y'all got some issues. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just go like, this. I, I don't know if I want that. But the family of God implies something, that if a person associates himself or herself with God as father, that person assumes a role as a member of God's family. Not only is God my father, but you are my sister and my brother, Right? We're, we're in this together now. And this is what gets challenging. An invitation for Jesus to say, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, Judas, y'all come and sit down at this table, not only means that they sit at the table with Jesus, they also sat at the table with each other. I used to think about it this way. At that table at the Last Supper sit, sat Matthew, a tax collector. Jewish man collecting taxes for the Roman government. And somewhere down that table sat a man named Simon the Zealot, which implied this. He was trying to overturn the Roman government so the Jewish people could take back. You have to imagine that was some pretty interesting conversations around the table, right? 
So you do what for a living again, right? I mean, and, and yet Jesus is saying, hey, you can be different. But the fact is this. God's our father. We are brothers. And we're going to work this stuff out. It's a family. It, it's something different. Um, one of the things that I uh, will often tell people um, that when they come here, regardless of what they walk into, when, when they come apart uh, and, and say they want to be a part of Rocky Creek, it, I know that we're all uh, made up of our stories in the last few years or decades of our life, but the point is this. Nobody walks through these doors perfect. None of us have got all our situations together. And so we all come broken. We all come got issues, and we come in a place to say this. Can I be accepted, right? And I've learned as a pastor that I have a no-shock face anymore, right? You can't walk into my office and say, let me tell you what I did. I'm like, oh, for real? <laughs> I'm not, I'm, you know why? I've heard it a thousand times. You hear it a thousand times. And I know this. Nobody is in any different situation than what I am. And so as a part of the family, is this: we love each other even among our dysfunction. That's what God calls us. If he's our father, we're a member of God's family. There's also another thing called the bride of Christ in the New Testament, right? Uh, Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his what? Bride has made herself ready. And this is not an individual. The bride of Christ is the people of God, right? It's the people of God altogether. There's a marriage supper coming. And so this, this type of idea that God is saying, I am saving myself all my love and affection for you, not just one individual, but for the people of God together. And once again, while there's so many people that, that struggle this imagery, what does this mean? It means that as Christ's bride, the church is faithful only to him, never swerving in allegiance and devotion. I'll say this, that's the goal, right? <laughs> Do we swerve? Oh yeah. Do we swerve in allegiance? Do we swerve in devotion? Absolutely. But the goal is this, if it's the idea of a marriage that we have, that the church is the bride of Christ, we save ourselves for him and him alone. We don't let any rival affection take us away from him. We say we are, we are married to him, we are committed to him and him alone. And as it comes down to marriage, uh, you cannot say to me, the way many people will tell me, um, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. That's like you telling me, Travis, I like you. I just can't stand your wife, Amanda. I'm not going to say, oh, okay, that's fine, right? I'm like, what's your problem, right? Don't you see she's the best thing that you've ever seen in your life? Don't you know she's the kindest person who's ever walked this earth? Like, if you say, I like you, but not your bride, we've got a problem, right? You can't separate me and her. We're, the Bible says we're one now. Ask my kids. Well, I try to see if dad would do this and mom would do that. They, no. Sometimes my kids will come to me and they'll say, Dad, blah, 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 I was thinking this, but Mom said this. I'm with her. Even if I think it's crazy, I'm with her. Okay? Like, I'm, 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 I mean, sometimes I say, she said we had to do this. I'm like, that was rough. I don't care. I'm with her. I'm with her 100%, right? And, and why? Because when you're married, you're one. This is the imagery of what it means to be the church connected to Jesus and that we have no other allegiance. We don't have allegiance to this world, to this culture, to popular opinion. We belong to him and to him alone. Another image in the New Testament. Branches on a vine, right? John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the what? The branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So if you get disconnected from the life source, guess what happens? 
it dies, right? You, you go outside and you see a really uh, lush tree and one branch that's not producing leaves anymore. What does that mean? Something got disconnected, right? Something's not connected to the source of life anymore, and now there is no fruit attached to it. So that's a picture of what it means to be the church. And only if Christ's disciples remained attached to the person of Jesus will they be able to produce any fruit for the kingdom. Jesus says it very clearly. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And you wonder why so many churches are closing their doors today. Why? They've gotten used to being away from Jesus. That's why. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says he came to the door of Laodicea and did what? Knocking. Catch this. He's talking to a church, not the culture. He says, these people I have died for, and I'm having to knock the door because they've locked me out. The scariest thing about that passage, about him just saying he wants to spit certain people out of their mouth, that they're not cold or hot, they're lukewarm. The most scary thing is he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people who know Jesus. They're far from me. They've closed the door. They're not connected anymore. And so with this, being the church, we're these branches on the vine. We've got to be connected to him. Why do some churches dry up? Because they're disconnected to the vine. Why do some denominations dry up? They're disconnected to the vine. Why do some Christians um, dry up? Disconnected to the vine. It's what we're called to be. Next, we have this other idea of what it means to be the church. It's the body of what? Body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For just as the body is one, has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are what? One body, so it is with Christ. Uh, have you ever tripped yourself up before? Done something to sort of get yourself out of step, right? Um, I, I thought about it yesterday. I saw a couple of different football plays where somebody had open space, right? And all of a sudden, they just tripped themselves up. Like, who, who was that? Like in the ground, like a groundhog popped up or something. They, they trip your own self, your, your, your arm. Like if you walked out down the road some, today and you see somebody attacking themselves, their hands slapping themselves, what are you going to do? I'm a run, okay, I guess. <laughs> because if he's hitting himself, what's he going to do to me, right? It makes no sense that you would ever do any damage to yourself because you're one body. And if you look at so many churches, it's as if they are slapping themselves silly. Why? Hurting themselves. Well, no, I'm hurting this person. You know, you're hurting yourself because we're one. We're a body. We are supposed to represent him. And so with this... Um, as if, if the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, if you lose one member, all of us are affected by it, right? All of us are. Um, sometimes the simplest of things right on our body can be, can be messed up. You can jam your finger, right? And everything's off. You're, you know, whatever. You can, you can twist your ankle and everything changes. Um, I'll never forget spraining an ankle on the left side and then having severe pain in the right back because you're overcompensating all the time, right? It's just like you do one thing and the whole thing's affecting each other. This is what it means, honestly, to be the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, believers must constantly be mindful of their expected, here's a big word here for us, interdependency upon one another. We are, as the people of God, dependent upon each other. I need you you need me. One of us is out. All of us struggle. That's what it means to be the church. Um, there are uh, someone I, I can think through in my life that at one point got frustrated. Somebody in the church had offended them. 
and they said, I'm just leaving the church. And I said, no, 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 we can work it out. I'll sit down, I'll be a mediator, get you, get this person, whatever, we'll work it out. Nope, 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 not gonna do it, blah, blah, blah. Too much has been done, they've been rude to me, I can't, I'm never coming back there. I'm like, and I finally look at this person, I said, I don't worry about that anymore. I'm gonna look you in the eye and say this, I need you. What do you need me for? You are one of the top people in my life. I feel like that if I had a burden that I need somebody to pray for, I could lay it on you. I need you in my life. You're the pastor. You should be okay. I'm not, okay? Like, I, I need you, and, and I need, when I look out and I'm preaching, I can see you. I know when I've got a burden, I can say, can you pray for me? But because of this issue, right, they felt like they couldn't stay. And, and now I'm looking going, part of me is damaged because of it. Does that make sense to you? You go, I'm damaged now. I'm not the same that I need because there's this interdependency. Um, there's something that's beautiful about the body of Christ that some days I might be healthy and you might be weak, but guess what might happen tomorrow? Yeah. Might flip, right? <laughs> Have you ever um, needed advice that you had given somebody else earlier in your life, <laughs> right? I feel like I've heard this before. I was giving that to somebody last week, but now you need it yourself, right? We're interdependent on each other. We, we need each other. Another place, while the scripture at 111 times the church is never mentioned to a building, in the scriptures, the building of God is something that's mentioned about what the people are supposed to be. Now, church has never said, that's a church, that's a building. But this is what 1 Peter 2.5 says. You yourselves, like living what? Stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So it's like, here we are. We're, the church isn't the building, but we are like a building on the, this, that Christ being the cornerstone, and we're just stacking up to create something bigger than ourselves, right? And you come out, and you go outside tonight, and you turn around and look back at this campus, this building. You don't go, you know that 93rd brick up there is really, really nice brick. No, you don't think that, right? You think, man, this structure houses so we can hundreds of people can gather here together and worship. You don't look at the individual brick. You look what it's a part of, right? And this is what it means as we are the building of God in this mentality. The early church never thought a building was a church, but the people were. And Jesus was the cornerstone upon which they built their lives. They never saw it as the church is a building, but they would say, we are like a building. Building our lives on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And we are being built up. And uh, think about this mentality. All of us today are stacking ourselves upon somebody who's gone before us, right? And that also implies that guess what's going to happen in your life? Somebody's going to stack upon you, right? This is what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. There's stuff that we're all, we're all putting together that God's doing together. Now, um, real quick, as we continue going down this, there, there's two other sections I want to look at. The church, uh, one and holy, and then the next section, Catholic and apostolic. I want to talk about what those words actually mean and not exactly what you may think they mean right away, okay? So these are four kind of characteristics that people have talked throughout the history of the church that are very important for us to understand. And so as we think about it, first and foremost, about the church being one church and a holy church, we must realize that individualized faith carried out in isolation is not the New Testament church. So when I, when I talk about that, um, all of this stuff out there is, I'm just going to follow Jesus on my own, is not of the Bible. In fact, even the way that we talk about my personal walk with Jesus, 
I know what that means. I get that. You can't inherit somebody else's. But I also realize this. My personal walk with Jesus is probably going to affect every single person in this room. Right? My personal walk with Jesus is going to affect my wife, my kids, other people who know me. So it's not just my individualized walk. Like It doesn't matter what happens to me. It does matter. What happens to me will affect other people. So I can't just look at it as, well, I've got this private faith. It doesn't affect anybody. That's not what it means. In fact, out of all the commands in Scripture in the New Testament that talks about what does it mean to, to be the church, oftentimes it says love one another, pray for one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. And guess what you can't do in all those situations? You can't do any of those verbs without what? Somebody else, Somebody else right? You've got to have the one another. All of these commands that are, you can't, you can't do in isolation, right? You have to say, I'm going to put somebody else ahead of myself. It means you're in a relationship with people. That's why you can't live. So, so somebody who comes up to me before said, I don't go to a church. I just go outside in nature and I experience God. And I said, that's not church. It's great that you can go and enjoy nature, but guess what? So can some new age people out there. The church is this. I'm surrendering not only to Jesus, but I'm also connecting myself with other people, which is difficult, right? It's challenging, but it's so needed. So as the church, being one and holy, we are called to be united as one, right? We're also set apart. What the word holy means, be set apart, to be different than. So this group, this gathering, is something very, very unique. Um, here's what I know about why some people really get involved in the church and some people really feel disconnected. Um, I have seen people in my life replace the church for something else. Okay, you go, oh, another church? Sometimes. But sometimes I see people that their exercise group becomes what the church ought to be. Their hobby and the people they do their hobby with becomes what the church is intended to be. We homeschool our kids. There are some people that their homeschool co-op becomes what the church ought to be. It becomes obsession. It becomes everything they think about, talk about, and the people they unite with. And all their extra effort resources goes towards that thing. And they go, I don't have time to give to a church. I know why. Because you've got a replacement one. you got an imposter one is what's happening here. So, so how, do, how can it be that we unite, set apart this? Well, let's think about it as, as one church. What does that mean? Jesus says in John 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. He's talk, speaking to the disciples. That they may be what? They may be one. Even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the what? The world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Did you catch that? How does the world know that God sent Jesus and the unity of the church? Now, that should scare us when we look at the state of the church today, should it not? Um, would you say that the big C church, right, everywhere you go, do we seem rather united these days? No. At some level, denominations themselves represent what? We all don't see eye to eye. Now, People can say, well, they're a good thing, and they help us work through this. But folks, when we are known more by our differences than what commonalities we have, we've got a problem. Christ said, I am praying that you would be one and that the world would see you as one, and yet all we do is bicker, argue, debate, 
disassociate with people, and it, typically it's not over major things, it's over the minors. Does that represent Christ well? No, it doesn't. Now, there are times, let's be honest, if there are people walking away from biblical truth, you've either got to go with them or you've got to stay on the Word, right? But what's happening here is this, is that unity is not found in aligning ourselves to each other, but aligning ourselves to something higher than us. Okay, give me an example. Um, my, my theologian mentor uh, who has gone past, God, by the name of A.W. Tozer, just love, love, love reading Tozer. Tozer says that if you want to tune a piano, what you don't do, if you ever try to tune a piano, it's a long, long task, right? There's a lot of keys in there, a lot of fine tuning. You don't tune pianos to each other. You know why? You're never going to find the right source, right? My piano is going to sound different than your piano. We're going to try to find something else that's not going to be right. You have to have a tuning fork or some kind of electronic device that gives you that 440 pitch, that beep, and you go, that's what I'm looking for right there. You're going to tune that thing exactly what it is. got to have a standard higher than yourself. If you try to tune to each other, everybody's out of tune. But if there's something higher than that all of us can get to that place, the problem is this. No longer do churches tune themselves to God's word. We find ourselves tuning to the culture and what other churches are doing, and that's why we sound out of key now can't even form certain chords and do certain things because we're all out of place. Disunity is all, all among us, and disunity among the people of God is an offense to our Father. It does not look good. In fact, Psalm 133 says this way, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, right? It's a good thing. It looks good on you. Um, my, my, my mom used to always say before she would leave me and my sister at the house by herself, she'd look at one and say, you're the peacemaker and you're the peacekeeper. I still have no idea what she meant. I think she meant don't get in a fight while I'm gone. Okay, yes, I get that. But you be the peacemaker, you be the peacekeeper. Uh, and, you know, and when I come back, I want everybody there because what happens? I know that for her, if she saw me and my sister at odds with, it, her, with each other, it broke her heart, right? I get that now as a dad. I don't want to see my kids arguing and fussing and fighting. Why? Because they're my kids. And I want them to be able to, to enjoy life together. And if God is our Father, when he sees kids debating and arguing over insignificant, trivial, ridiculous stuff, it doesn't bring glory to him. And, and so even among varying disagreements, the common union with Christ prevails among the actual people of God. Um, folks, we have to get to what does it mean to be the one church. Um, Rocky Creek, we are a Baptist church. But there are other Baptist churches in this city that have Baptists on their name that are not the same Baptists of which we speak of. Okay? In fact, some of y'all are going to hold on here a little bit. You actually might have more in common with a Presbyterian <gasps> or a Methodist or a Pentecostal or somebody else than somebody who even claims the name Baptist. Why? Because they're not tuning into this fork anymore. Right? And so, so with this... You, we have to find out what's the common union with Christ. But when you walk away from Jesus is the only way, we're out of step, right? When, when you're walking away from what the Scripture tells us to live our lives, you're, you're falling out of step. So it's not we're off in those moments. We're still standing on the rock, and you are now going into sinking sand, and these two things can't be in agreement. But, folks, where we can find unity, we need to find unity and embrace it. We need to celebrate what's happening over church down the road. And, and that, that's such a key thing because at the end of the day, um, 
I had someone recently reach out to me. I was helping uh, another pastor, another city. Something was going on, and um, bad, bad situation going on with some decisions he made, what was happening in the church, what was happening in all the different relationships and spiraling down and all these different connecting parts. And he said to me, I'm so sorry that I made your job harder. I said, what do you mean? When I do these things and I'm a pastor, all it does is make other pastors be in a bad light for other people, and I'm sorry. What I do affects you. And I want to go, oh, no, that's all right. I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> you are, right? It, what, what happens, Big C Church is, is, is in, affected by those things. So we are one. We're also called to be holy, right? We should be a holy church. The word holy means set apart, other than, distinct. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy what? Nation. Nation. You mean the United States of America? Mm, that ain't holy. Okay? There are people in this nation that are holy, but is this nation as a whole holy? No. I don't know what news you've been watching, but the ones I'm watching does not look like we are a holy nation. So what does it mean? There is a people among this nation who are a different type of nation, and they are set apart for something different. A holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called to be holy, to be set apart for what? Set apart for what he's called us to be able to declare, not that we've got it all together, but we've been saved by the one who does. That's what our job is as a church. The church is supposed to be a group of people set apart from this world for the purposes of God. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for God and what he has called me to do. I've set my life apart for his purposes. Can I just tell you that once again, if you go back to that analogy of other people who it's their workout group or their co-op or their whatever it is that becomes that imposter church, the reason why a lot of people here don't ever feel like that they can be really connected to the church. The church is always an attachment to their lives rather than these are the people I'm going to spend eternity with. And we're working together for something that's going to outlive us. Let's invest there rather than this cause, right? There's something that's greater than, than we can cause ourselves to see. And if the Holy Spirit indwells us, we ought to be a holy people, the Spirit is holy, and He indwells us, then what ought we to be? We, we ought to be holy because He is holy. And, and so with this, we should be set apart. He is setting us apart and making us more like Christ with our lives. Now, this last section, you see two words there, one of which may seem like a shocker, right? Let's look at the church. What does it mean that we are Catholic and apostolic? And some of you are like, I am not Catholic. Some of you, some of you may grow up Catholic. Some of you may even identify as Catholic. But I want to teach you something that may shock you here tonight about what that word actually means. The true church is a universal body continuing the work of the Great Commission from the early church. Okay, That makes sense to you right there? Let's think about a couple of those key words and we're going to unpack it. The true church implies that there is a what church? There's a false church out there. Okay. True church is a universal body. That means it's not confined to a location or just a particular group of people. A denomination doesn't hold stake on it. It's a universal body that's continuing the work of the Great Commission that started from who? From Jesus to the early church. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples to Peter, James, and John. And apparently it worked because here we are. Right? Greenville, South Carolina. A uh, carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago, 
who died on a cross, who was homeless the last three years of his life, told a bunch of fishermen, go and impact the world and tell everybody that I got up and I'm alive today. Apparently, it worked because over on the other side of the world, in a different language, 2,000 years, we're still talking about it, and we've been dealing with them all day today, right? Something worked there. It started in the early church. It's now progressed to us. And so, get this. If we are carrying what Jesus has given the disciples that made his way to us, then we are always going back to what Jesus commanded those disciples to do, right? We don't 2,000 years later go, we actually figured it out a little bit better than those guys have it. Why? Because we didn't have direct access like they did to who? To Jesus. So we are reading, when you open up your Bible and you go to 1 Peter, who are you reading? You're reading Peter who was there with Jesus. I'm reading John, well, who was there with Jesus. I'm reading Matthew, who was there with Jesus, right? So, so think about this. When we get to the word of the Catholic Church, some of you, once again, you automatically think a certain thing. Let me explain where, where a lot of this falls down to. Go to Matthew chapter 16, 18 for a second. When you, when you look at this verse here, um, I'll give you the context. You can look it up in your Bible if you want to, but let me tell you what's happening. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, who do the people say that I am, Right? They say, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say da-da-da-da, and Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, for the first time in his life, got it right, <laughs> okay? He says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting on. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Right? On this rock. Now, this right here is the problematic word that has divided people who have claimed the name Jesus for many, many hundreds of years. Because uh, what do we realize about Peter? That Jesus gave Peter a nickname, which meant what? Does anybody know? Rock, rock right? He's a stone. He's rocky. Right? He used to be Simon, but he's now Peter. He's Cephas. He's, he's this rocky guy. Okay, So he, he gives him this kind of really cute little moniker here. Hey, from now on, I'm going to call you Rocky, buddy. Because, man, that, that, you know, that's the name. And in this moment, Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, what is that rock? Okay, Because you've got two options, two options alone. One is the statement, right? what Peter said. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The other option is the person. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, was he saying, upon that faith statement that you just gave, or upon the person who just gave it, I'm going to build my church? Okay, so what happens here, if you think about it, Jesus says, all these things to him, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. In this, if you think that he is building the rock on Peter, that faith is built on a person. So in the Catholic Church that you would understand, who was the first pope? Does anybody know? Peter. Peter was. And every other pope since then has been a succession from the line of Peter, and the Catholic Church is built upon the rock named Peter. They would see Christ as the cornerstone, but that Peter was the rock upon which he built the church. And then all of a sudden, Peter changes. He's no longer the pope, but the next guy's the pope, and the next guy's the pope, and now the one that we've got now. The problem there becomes this, that if you are the pope, what you say is on the same level of authority as God's word. That's in the Catholic Church. That's why the Catholic Church has a problem right now, because the current pope is saying things that the last pope didn't say. And they're at odds with each other. So the question comes this. 
was Jesus in this moment saying, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Was he saying, everybody, listen up. I'm building my church on Peter. He's the guy. From here on out, I'm out. He's in. He's the guy. Follow him. Or was he saying, Rocky, you just nailed it. And upon what you just said, that I am the Christ, I, I am the one that, that this is what your faith, because what was Peter? It was a statement of faith. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's faith that, that Jesus is more than a man, right? He's the one we've been waiting for upon that statement. So this is the difference between uh, these group of people here would be what you call Protestants, right? And these people over here would be called what? Catholics. Catholics would believe that this statement was about built upon the person, the rock of Peter, while Protestants, you go, what's a Protestant? Those people who protest the Catholic Church a few hundred years ago. Now, what's that mean? A lot of you, okay? Like, I'm a Baptist, part of the Protestant kind of big umbrella, because back in the 1500s, a group of people protested the injustices being done in the Catholic Church and said, we're not going with that anymore. We're going back to the Word. We're out of this. We're not going to follow this anymore. We're protesting, and all of this was born from this, and it comes down from this. Now, let me explain something. So you go, okay, that's great, but why do you keep saying we're a Catholic Church then? Because I'm definitely not a part of that, Trav. Uh, you know, whatever it is, here's what you need to know. In its truest sense... The word Catholic speaks of the universal church. So the Catholic church, the way that we would understand it, most people, when you say Catholic church in 2022, they think about what the Pope presides over and all the people who go to different Catholic smaller congregations all over the world today. That's the Catholic church. And that's not what it means. It means that from the very get-go, when Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my church, my group, my gathering, he was saying, there's not a building here, there's a people here. And everywhere that people have that faith statement that Jesus is the only way, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And it's not a location, it's a people. And what this means is this. Since that day, there's only been one universal church. And it's met here. And over there in that country and spoke in this different language, but at the end of the day, there's one church. Now, what took place was um, that name got appropriated to mean this denomination over here. But in its truest sense, so much of what we know to be the Catholic Church has veered away from the Scriptures and do something else. But at its truest sense, the Catholic, the universal church, is what 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 God has started from the very, very beginning. So beyond local church memberships and denominational lines exists a universal church that we will spend forever with. So if you hear me tonight saying, so does that mean we're Catholic? <laughs> yes and no. We're not the way that if, if you go out of here tonight and say, our pastor said we're Catholic, don't say that, okay, don't say that. But are we a part of the one true universal church who follows King Jesus? Yes. We are part of that. Big C Church, right? Big C Church. We are part of that. And yet, even though that name, Catholic, once again, has kind of been somewhat hijacked just to mean this, in the truest sense, it means this. Um, I have been over in places in the world where I could not speak the language, and yet I felt connected with those people because I know they're a part of the body of Christ. And I feel more commonality with them than some of my neighbors who have the same skin tone as me and the same age as me. You know why? We're just too different. But you put me on the other side of the world in a hut somewhere, 
people who look differently than me speak a different language, and there's a commonality. Why? Because we're one in Christ. There's the universal church. There's the Catholic church in that sense that exists far beyond. And then the last one is the apostolic church. What does that mean? Well, in that word is what apostle, right? Disciple means student. Apostle means sent out ones. There's a place in Mark where Jesus would refer to Peter and the guys as disciples, and then he switches and says, I now call you apostles. They switch from just sitting there and learning to being sent out. And why would we be called an apostolic church? Because Ephesians 2.20 says, Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the what? Cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. The next layer of bricks was what? Foundations of the apostles and prophets. Where do the prophets come? Old Testament. Where do the apostles come? New Testament. So when I read Genesis through Revelation, what am I reading? Prophets and apostles that help me build my life upon and be a part of what God's doing among the big C church. Right? So I'm being built upon that. So I've got to trust that when the Apostle John was sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper and could hear his heart starting to beat because he knew what was about to take place, and Jesus is saying, let me tell you something, if you stay disconnected from me, you can't do anything, i got to trust that word more than I trust my feelings. Why? Because Jesus gave it to some apostles, they wrote it down, and now we have contained within it a book that helps guide us. We believe our doctrines originate from the apostles of Jesus, speaking as his spokespersons, right? So our doctrines come from the apostles of Jesus who wrote it down. Why didn't Jesus write it down? Because it was important for Jesus to deliver this message to his apostles who would write this down for us, speaking as a spokesperson for him, and our doctrines, our biggest thoughts and ideas about theology and life and practice all come from them. So, here's what happens, right? So I told you that my scripture, right? If you think about the Old Testament, it's probably about right here, okay? This is prophets, this section. Here's apostles, this section right here. My faith is built upon what is contained in this book, written by prophets, written by apostles. It helps guide me in this. And the moment when I start discrediting what is in this book, I have started creating my own religion. The moment that I start taking out verses and pages that I don't agree with, cutting, copy, and pasting what I want to and saying, I don't like them tearing this page out and I'm going to put a new one in, I have now said I am above the apostles, I am above the prophets, and also the one who spoke to them. I'm claiming myself to have a knowledge of which I cannot have. A discredit of their validity asserts a knowledge superior to their connection with Christ. So if I were to say, I know what the Apostle Paul says, but I think I know better. That is saying, I do not believe that the Apostle Paul had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And I believe that I know better than him. If I struggle with what Peter or John or different ones would say in the scriptures, I think I know better. I'm not only discrediting their validity, but the one who spoke to them. And so with this, who are the people of God? People of God are the one church of Jesus Christ, holy and set apart for his purposes, universal body that are sent out and built upon what he taught in our scripture that therefore we can live our lives with. And let me just tell you something, folks. I will not tell you tonight, I can't wait to see y'all at church next Sunday. You know why? 
you are the church all week long. Tomorrow, you are the church. Represent him well. Until we gather back at this location, if we can gather back at this location, you are the church. Do not, do not clock out for one moment as you go forward. Father, we pray that tonight that you would help us remember the wonderful gift of what it means to be the people of God. To know that we have a home in which to belong to, a Father who cares for us, and to be able to be in step with you all along the way. I want to thank you not only that you are our Father, but I do thank you for our, the brothers and the sisters, the spiritual fathers and mothers, the spiritual kids coming along behind us, that we are building upon the foundations of the prophets and the apostles and doing our part to build upon those who have shared with us, and we are continuing to build upon it so that others can come behind us and continue to build this thing that you are doing, which is not geographical location, physical space, but it is many little temples walking around this city all week long. And Lord, uh, I am not about to leave church today. I am a part of the church. I'm going to leave a church campus. But on Monday through Saturday, I am called to be your representative to the world. I am called to connect with these people, to check on them, to love them, to make sure that we are in step with you. And Lord, um, it is a wonderful honor to follow you. And I have told you numerous times that I would do it all by myself if I had to, but I thank you that I don't have to. You have given me the church. You have given me the people of God, brothers and sisters who love you. And even if I think I could follow you on my own, I know that I couldn't. I need these people. Lord, I pray that we would see the wonderful gift we have as the people of God, the body of Christ, the church of our Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.